Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 332 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger and good friend of mine, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, man? I'm doing good, my man. How about yourself? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. Always good. We're going to dive straight in because uh, there's a lot to go over. Obviously, the review part is where we're going to start here. After that, as always, we're going to welcome our special guest. It's going to be a man in a huge fight this weekend. That man being one of the Gary Russell brothers. Gary Antoine Russell. 14-0, 14 KOs. He's in a brilliant fight. Uh, on Saturday, but let's waste no time and get straight in here to the review part of the show. We're going to start here in Canada at the Montreal uh, Casino in Quebec. Over here, one fight to mention uh, on the main event, I guess. Um, Arslanbek Mahmudov, uh, the heavyweight, now 14-0. and Again, 14 KOs, a six-round knockout win against Marius Wack. Haven't seen the fight, really struggled to... Um, to find a stream for it, actually. He's now 36-8, and eight, Marius Wack. Um, yeah, I mean, usually durable. Obviously, this guy seems to be a different kettle of fish, Makhmadov, the way he's going through people, you know, in his pro career. Certainly has a really bright future. I cannot wait to see him in with all the other big names at heavyweight. Uh, elsewhere on the undercard, we should probably mention this one here. Simon Keane with a win, now 21-1. and A TKO in round 9 against Sean Dell Winters, who's now 13-7. and Winters down in the 6th round and twice in the ninth round. Also, Keane himself down in round 6. Moving out now to Mexico, over here at the Plaza Monumental in Tijuana. Um, I've got to be completely honest with you, it was on the zone. I was falling asleep during the main event. It really seemed to go on late, I think. Or maybe I was just really tired. But um, I did actually manage to watch the entire fight. A TKO in round 3 for Jaime Munguia, now 39-0. Still kind of yet to Step up to world level since moving up to middleweight. Um, obviously a world champion at light middleweight, but he's really biding his time before he has that big fight. He had a, he had a decent opponent in with him here, an undefeated fighter, Demetrius Ballard. But as I said on last week's show, we would have preferred to see Demetrius Andrade. This Demetrius, as I say, lost, lost his 0-21-1 now with a draw. It was for the WBO Intercontinental Middleweight title. Um, on the undercard, a win for William Zapida. Um, a shocking one, actually, because he was down himself in round two. I think this was the fight where there was a lot of slipping around in one of the corners. There was a lot of water in the corner. Uh, his opponent, Luis Viedes, I think his name was. He's now 29-12 and 12 with a draw. A KO in round three for Zapida. And Zapida as well had a point deducted uh, in round two. Um... 
and as I as I should have said, Viedas was down in round two and twice in round three. Um, so a lot of action there in just three rounds. A point deduction and and um, I think that's four knockdowns. Uh, moving out now to the RCC Boxing Academy in Russia. This one over here was a bit of a shock. I told everyone, and I I, I really don't want to encourage gambling, but I said. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bet that has certainly caught my eye. Jorge Linares to win. Well, he was boxing amazingly and ended up getting stopped in the 12th and final round, which is quite a shock considering, again, both men had been in with Devin Haney. Zura Abdalaev, the, the, the man in the home corner here, got, got stopped in, in four rounds by Devin Haney, whereas Linares obviously finished really strong, lost on points, and um, didn't look too shot. So yeah, he started off really well here, Linares, apparently looked like his old self, but then as the fight wore on, I think Abdullayev started investing in the body, and as the old saying goes, you know, you chop the tree down from the from the bottom kind of thing. Um, Zor Abdullayev, that's a, that's a tremendous win for him as well. I mean, this kind of win catapults him right up there again with the top contender list at 1-3-5. He's now 15-1. That fight was for the WBC uh, silver lightweight title, Linares now 47-7, and seven. will that be the end of the road for him? I think many people uh, feel it should be. Moving out now to the big one, it took place at the Manchester Arena in Lancashire, United Kingdom on Sky Sports box office. Um, let's talk about the undercard first. There wasn't too much really to mention on the undercard, but I'm going to go through as much as I can here. Fraser Clark, the Olympic bronze medalist with a win on his pro debut, a first round TKO against Jake Darnell, who was also a debutant. Um, yeah, even though Fraser Clark weighed more than Darnell, you wouldn't have thought so because Darnell uh, had, you know, quite a big belly and you know, a lot of people were puzzled how he even got a license to get in there with, you know, an Olympic level amateur boxer making his pro debut. This Jake Darnell guy, I think, had a nought and one record in bare knuckle boxing. And he was apparently, I think, at the open workout in the week of the fight, hoping to try and buy a ticket for the event for Brooke Kahn. And 24 hours later, he's on the actual undercard fighting Fraser Clark. It just is crazy. But anyway, Darnell's corner through the towel in, in the first round. Um, <laughs> got to give, you got to tip your hat to him. You know, he was brave, but obviously, completely, completely uh, had no chance. To be honest with you, uh, Vidal Riley on the undercard as well with a win. He's now five and zero, a points win over six rounds there against Wilberforce Shehepo, who's now twenty five and fourteen. Shehepo down in the first round from a right uppercut. Friend of the show, Bradley Ray. I think he was on last week's show. Yeah, he was. He was on last week's show. It was his birthday in the week. I think he spoke to us maybe the day after his birthday, and then. Uh, I think he was fighting the night after or whatever. It was a lot going on for him, and I appreciate his time on last week's show. Uh, he was very, very busy. And he got in with an undefeated fighter, Craig McCarthy, 8-0 with a draw. And he was able to stop McCarthy in the first round. I've got to say, Bradley Ray seems to just be improving pretty much every single fight now. As I said to him when he was on, he's had about four really you know, on paper, tough fights in a row, and yet he's getting better and better. The fight with Jay Smith wasn't uh, the most dominant win, of course, but, you know, he's allowed to have uh, a little bit of an off night, of course, and he remains undefeated, and, 
you know, people don't really bang on about his power, but he's 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 getting a few decent knockouts, and this was probably the best one of his career. Um, brilliant stoppage, brilliant stoppage there for Bradley Ray, 12-0. Natasha Jonas with a win as well. She's now 11-2 with a draw. A TKO in round two against Chris Namus, who's now 25-7. Namus down in the first round, never really recovered, and came out in the second, and... Um, Bit of a soft stoppage because the punch that kind of knocked her down was—I mean, it was a—it was a knockdown. It was a genuine knockdown, but she was certainly off balance and kind of stumbled backwards into the ropes and fell down. You could completely see on the on the replay that her eyes were fine. She was looking at her corner, saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't stop it!" And then the referee decided to stop it. Um, that one, like I say, was for the vacant WBO World Female Super Welterweight title. Natasha Jonas, finally a world champion. Very pleased for her. Uh, I think she had to move up three weight classes for the fight, which just seems crazy. Um, but Chris Namus, who had been a former champion, um, you know, bigger than her and all the rest of it. But she'd been in there and, and, and not been stopped by the likes of Emma Cozin, who had been in with Clarissa Shields the other week. Um, and also she'd gone the distance with Cecilia Brackhouse. None of these girls stopped her. So for Natasha Jonas to move up three weight classes and do it, let's be honest, and I think she's, what, 36, I think, Jonas? It was quite a statement. It really was. I thought it was going to points. I thought she could even maybe lose. But um, credit to her, man. I'm really pleased for her. Um, anyway, moving on now to the other fights on the card. I'm going to mention this one just here. Uh, Charlie Schofield lost. He lost his English super middleweight title to Jermaine Brown, who's now 12-0. Charlie Schofield now 17-2. A unanimous decision there in favor of Jermaine Brown. Very wide in the end on the cards. And let's just jump straight to the main event. Amir Khan... Now 34-6, and six, it was his 40th pro fight, a TKO in round 6 against Kel Brook, who's now 40-3. and three. Um, My sister rang me up right before the bell and said, what's your prediction, what's your prediction? I, you know, some, I think she was maybe telling someone to put a bet on, and I was saying, oh, you know, I don't want to... I don't, I don't really want to say. I'm not sure it could kind of go either way. We just don't know. And she was saying, just give me a round. Just give me a round. Because I always thought that Brooke would have enough in the tank still to beat Khan. I thought he'd stop Khan. Give me a round. Give me a round. And I said, uh, uh, round six. Round six, Kel Brook. And <laughs> I think it was about 14 to one. So um, I'm not sure if anyone did put a bet on that. But I thought that was what's going to happen. And of course, whenever I make a prediction that goes right, it's the time that I didn't put any money down as a bet. But anyways, we shall live on. Um, talking about the fight itself, I am kind of, I've kind of been dreading talking about this fight because I am a little bit worried that I'm going to get um, obliterated on Twitter or any kind of social media platform when you hear what I've got to say about the fight. And I am honest. Um, I'd like to think the listeners know that now. I don't really sugarcoat. I kind of say how it is. Uh, even friends of the show that I really like and really wish well, if they lose a fight or whatever, in my opinion, I will say it how it was. And I'm not going to change my opinion based off of what everyone else has thought about this fight here. So judging off what other people are saying about Calm Brook, I have a very unpopular opinion. So I've been a little bit nervous to share it, but... Here goes nothing. Um, round one, I thought it was a really thrilling round. I thought that Khan was bossing it with his movement and just, you know, his general activity. 
And then, of course, he gets hurt with a jab. Um, I felt he was a little bit off balance. And as Khan does, he tries to stand his ground. He gets hurt again. Um, and I felt he'd given away the round. I think he was winning the round, but I think he gave away the round. He looked really unsteady. I gave the first one to Brooke. Round two. This is where the controversy starts. I gave round two to Khan. Uh, I felt Brooke was struggling to now Khan down. I felt Khan was just kind of hitting and moving. Uh, he seemed to have recovered. His legs looked strong again. I liked what he was doing. He was getting good shots off. And Brooke was showing a good chin. I think that a lot of people were, were reading into Brooke having no punch resistance. I kind of was one of them. Because the way he got hit by Crawford, he just looked like he had nothing left. But he took a good shot a few times in round two. Round three, this is where it gets even more controversial controversial baby but we're going all in round three i gave to khan i know there's going to be people that are going to probably stop the podcast right there and delete it and never listen to me again but i gave round three to khan just about um brooke i think finished strong in the last 30 seconds but it is a three minute fight for for however many rounds it is for 12 rounds in this case khan was pinned on the ropes at the end. He was in trouble at the end. He was saved a little bit by the bell in the end. But I think Khan, on his early work, got it for me, despite the highlights of the round, of course, being Brooks' highlights. And it gets even more controversial. You'd think I'm trolling, but I'm really not. I gave round four to Khan as well. So I had Khan free one up after four. And I'm just sitting here now recording this. No one's listening to me right now. But by the time people listen to this, I know I'm going to have a few DMs <laughs> probably early next week. And uh, I'm, I, I, I don't know what they're going to say. I'm worried about what's coming. But I'm just being honest. I might be a terrible judge. <laughs> I'm going to find out, I'm sure. Round four I gave to Khan, like I say. Um, I felt Brooke was having moments. He was landing big backhands. But, but Khan was taking them and, you know, just dishing out... A little bit more, just outworking Brooke a little bit. Brooke was showing, as I say, an unbelievable chin. Um, but I just gave the round to Khan on activity. Round five, obviously, no problem with this. Big round for Kel Brook. He was cutting off the ring on Amir Khan. Amir really wasn't doing much. He was getting pinned on the ropes and trying to parry and ride the shots. He was taking a lot on the gloves, but he couldn't continue to do so, of course. So I had it 3-2, and then round six, I mean, it was pretty much the first punch of the round that um, that Kelbrook threw that Khan walked right into. It was a jab. He walked right into it, and from that point onwards, Brook just smothered him and just unloaded, really, and Khan took a lot of big shots, and I couldn't believe he actually managed to stay on his feet because I think Brook can punch, and Amir Khan's chin hasn't got any better than it was, and his defense, we saw, had not got much better. Um... But yeah, I was very impressed he actually stayed on his feet for the entire six rounds. Um, he showed a lot of punch resistance himself. We talked about, obviously, Brooke having none. Uh, but yeah, Victor Lachlan, the referee, stopped the fight when Khan was... Uh, at the time, I kind of thought in a world of trouble. But when I watched it back, and I have watched it back, I kind of thought it was a little bit premature, but I, I think the fight was turning. I mean, some people would say that it was never turning. It was all Brook. Some people had every single round to Brook. I think Andre Ward had every single round to Brook. Uh, but yeah, anyway, we can all agree at that point, Brook was in control. And it didn't look like Calm was going to be able to pull anything back. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was watching them together, stood together. And Brook is so huge standing next to Amir Khan. And Amir Khan, you know, against a bigger, stronger... 
harder puncher. I mean, it's it's almost that you wouldn't even want to take a fight if you knew that. Khan, who are you going to be fighting next? You're going to be fighting this guy who's bigger than you, stronger than you, punches harder than you. Straight away, I wouldn't be interested if I was Khan's matchmaker. Um, you know, it doesn't sound good, and it wasn't good. And we found out what happened, even though it's six years removed from the fight it would have been. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if Khan was so shot in the end that, not his chin, but just his whole boxing, the whole everything. I'm not sure if he was so shot that he made Kel look good. I don't know if that was the case, but to me, Kel looked as good as ever, even though I had uh, Khan 3-2 up going into that final round, which sounds terrible. But I think he looked as good as ever. I felt, obviously, he was in unbelievable shape. He looked great in the ring. Um, but as I said, and I knew this, I knew full well he would have trained like he first did when he first walked into the Ingle Gym all them years ago, like a kid at Christmas, for every single gym session. There wasn't a day, I think, that went by that was uh, was was grueling. You know, like a lot of fighters talk about it, going into a camp, they're not fully up for the fight. Every day training is really tough and hard. You know, it gets to you, it affects you mentally. I don't think that was the case for Kell Brook. I think every single time he went to training, he probably looked forward to doing it. He probably looked forward to training so hard for the man that he wanted to beat over anyone in the whole world. He would have literally rather lost to me, who's never had a pro fight. If I went into that ring, uh, to have a fight with Kelbrook, I think if, if he had to pick who he'd lose to, Amir Khan, an established world champion, multi-millionaire, superstar boxer, or me, pretty much Joe Bloggs, who's never had a fight before, and it would be embarrassing for Brook. I think he'd rather choose me. That's how much he hated Khan. He, uh, he, he would have, you know, never wanted to lose to Khan. And, um, yeah, he took it very serious. We could see that just by looking at his body, and he looked as good as ever. Um, I'm not sure, though, he should carry on, because Johnny Nelson made a great point afterwards saying that no one's going to be able to make him train like he did for this fight. No one. There's no other fight out there that, you know, excite, excited him like the calm fight. There's nothing moving forward. There's no other moment that's going to feel the same as this. And, yeah, he's been a world champion. He's He's got the, the biggest win of his career in his eyes. Even though it's not really. The biggest win of his career was when he beat Sean Porter in America, hands down. But in his eyes, this is mega. This is more than the world title. Um, and I'm very pleased for him. Because I've always been a massive, um, a massive Amir Khan fan, you know, since he won silver in the Olympics. And I followed his whole pro career. I've always been in love with Amir Khan, but I've always loved Kell Brook at the same time kind of thing. I've, I think I prefer Khan over Brook if I had to pick a side. But as gutted as I was for Khan, I was also over the moon for Brook. You know, I could see how much it meant to him. And he wanted it more. He wanted it more. As simple as that. I don't think Khan ever really wanted to fight for all those years. He was going to wait until he had no other payday left to take that fight. And as I said, Kell would have took it at any point. Um, even if he'd been retired for 25 years, he would have he would have took it uh, if if he needed you know to get into the ring with 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 a walking stick. He would have done it. Um, so yeah, over the moon for Kel, gutted for Khan. I really like the the, the pair of them. Um, I don't think Khan should carry on. I think that should be it for him. 40 fights now. You know, he, he, he I think he's 34 now. He won a silver medal at 17 in the 2004 games in Athens. And, you know, he's been a pro for 17 years, had so many wars, so many good fights. His, his best days are way, way behind him now. Huge balls. I mean, balls that you, you just can't buy, you can't teach. He had 
he had a huge set, man, Amir Khan. And always, every single second of every single fight, you could never blink. With Amir Khan, it was always on the edge of your seat stuff, whether you liked him or didn't like him. And he's he's a British boxing icon, a British boxing legend. Um, but yeah, as for Kel Brook, could carry on because he looks so good. But I think I agree with what Johnny Nelson said. He probably should pack it in on that brilliant win because there's not going to be a sweeter win uh, in the whole world for, 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 for Kel Brook. But yeah, I could go on and on and on and on. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to come to you, Eddie. I don't know if you saw it. I'm hoping you did, but I've got a feeling you probably didn't, and it's a shame if you didn't. It's kind of messed up because um, I was trying to see it, and I forgot it was going to be on. You know, at the time it was going to be on. I'm, you know, I'm thinking later, but then I realized, what am I thinking? Five hours earlier. You know what I mean? The car is going where I think started at 1 p.m. my time, and by the time I was I, I thought about it. I, it was, it was, the fight was over. So I was looking basically at the results, and somebody had um, put it on. You know, like there was like a little, like a round of it on YouTube. So I started watching it, and I seen Khan get hurt in the first round. But I, I gotta agree, in that first round, I didn't see any of the second or any of the rest of it, to be honest. But that, uh, that, that first round, I felt like Khan was, you know, he was, he was faster. He, um, he he was he was landing you know he was landing the jab he was doing some nice things from the outside you could tell that you know his speed was just you know his, his speed is 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 great you know what I mean even at this point in his career you know his speed is still his speed is still great but um, I do think he's shot in, in in a lot of ways I think you know him not even so much as the chin because we always knew he was kind of chinny a little even though he's uh, he's tough and he'll fight no matter what. Um, but I just think his body in general, holding up to the to the to the to the workload, man, it's just it's just it's just not the same. You know what I mean? And even if they would have fought, in, you know, years ago when they were both, you know, within in the prime of their careers, it still could have been it still would have been a rough night, and he could have got clipped. So, um, being that he's now definitely past it, and he's not really, I mean, I didn't, I'm not saying he looked terrible or bad from what I've seen. He actually looked pretty decent and sharp, but. It's just his body's not holding up at this point in general. You know what I mean? Not just the chin, it's just his body. So, um, you know, congratulations on a great career, but I think it's time. So it's about that time for him. Yeah, I have to agree. And um, I was explaining to someone the other day, obviously there's no such thing as perfect, and there's certainly no such thing as the perfect fighter. Um, Amir Khan... I think pretty much has got everything apart from the chin. I mean, the speed, you know, the excitement, the power, the f- the, the the feet. Um, you know, I think his his defense isn't great, obviously, but his his offense is his defense kind of thing. But the only thing he's missing is a chin, and it's just let him down so many times. There's been so many times where he's been hurt in a fight and had to cling on for dear life, and it's just been heart-in-mouth moments for his fans. I've been one of those guys on the edge of my seat just sweating bullets, man. Like, (laughs) he has put me through so much stress, Uh, you know, but he always delivered, man, always delivered, never ducked nobody. I would have loved to see the Mayweather fight when it was spoken about, you know. It would have been a crazy clash of styles, man, because he was a problem for absolutely anyone. Uh, Even Canelo Alvarez, for God's sake, till he got clipped. He was... Such a brilliant fighter to watch. So exciting. And I don't know if there will be another fighter that brings that same level of excitement, to be honest with you. Every time he fought was like, for me, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but every time he fought, it was kind of like how I felt 
after, uh, sorry, during Wilder's fight with Fury. Fury Wilder won, I think, when when um, you know when Fury got clipped in, in. I can't remember what round it was now, but when he got clipped and put down, it was like, oh my god, like you know, he could go at any point if if, if he gets hit again. That edge of your seat stuff um that's what every single calm fight was like even if he got in there with someone who wasn't even a puncher it was just like that all the time anyway leaving that there leaving that there in manchester uh moving to the final card this one took place on sunday february 20th oh, i'm gonna really go for it now with the pronunciation sit back and listen to this one at the pabellon de esgrima in centro olimpico Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. I don't even know where it went at the end. It kind of went into a Mexican old man. But um, damn, 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 Joe, you was really trying to sell it. <laughs> yeah, you'd think I was at the venue or something, or had free tickets. No, I absolutely wasn't. Nor did I tune in for it. But I'm going to give you the result if you if you missed it, which a lot of people did because it went under the radar. Javier Fortuna. Now 37-3 and three with a draw, a KO in the very first round against Rafael Hernandez, now 32-15 and 15 with three draws. And he really slipped in uh, on the undercard without no one noticing. Jason Rosario, the banana kid. He's now 22-3 and three with a draw. Um, he knocked out in four rounds Jesus Perez, who's now 12 and 6 with a draw. That's it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing for me to do is to welcome our special guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated knockout artist from the super talented Russell family. It is, of course, Mr. Gary Antoine Russell. Gary, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How you doing, my guy? Hey, I'm very well now I'm speaking with you. So, Gary, this is the first time I've spoken with you. Uh, we've had uh, t- two of your brothers on in the past. It's good to have you on also. I want to start by saying, obviously, your older brother, Gary Jr., uh, you know, been a world champion. He's the brother who I guess is the most known because of being a champion. Even though you're all called Gary, even though you're all Southpaws, even though you all won the local Golden Gloves tournament in the amateurs, as a pro, I think you've all kind of had very different journeys. The fans love to see knockouts, and you have managed to deliver a knockout in every fight so far. Would you say you're all similar in ways, but on different journeys, perhaps? Um, definitely. You know, in the amateurs, the highest pinnacle that anyone can get is the Olympics. You know, out of four of us that compete, two of us made it. Same coach, which is my father. Um, I think that's monumental. You know, a lot of times you have people that's going from gym to gym and coach to coach, and they're just trying to find the best um, solution for them or the best environment that can take them to that pinnacle. You know, but we had it in-house. You don't get that a lot. Um, I wanted to make a correction. You said the local Golden Gloves is the national tournament. But these are people from all over across the world, across the country, coming to compete in this tournament. You know, um, I think that tournament has a lot of difficulties for people to become victorious in as well. You know, that's just on an amateur journey, you know, and it was very identical. We followed each other footsteps. So it kind of made it easy because you had Gary Jr., then you had Gary Allen, then you had Gary Antonio, then you got 
me, myself. You know, they kind of like rolled out the carpet for me. So it made it a lot more digestible when it came to me dealing with something. Um, far as professional, the professional journey is totally different. Same concept, though. You know, we try to not overanalyze too much on things. So it won't be such a hard stepping stone for us as a unit, you know, but um, when you sit back and you look at us individually and you see how our careers are fluctuating or looking, yes, Gary Russell Jr., a.k.a. Mr. Gary Russell, he's been the WBC world champion at the weight division, and he's been that champion for the longest, even the longest WBC champion in the world, longest reigning WBC champion, title holder, period. Is he a knockout artist like me? No. All of my fights have been knockouts. You know, and then you have Gary Antonio, his first pro debut fight went viral. You know, um, he got a lot of talent, just like all of us. He, the sky is the limit for him in his weight division. Bandit weight, 118. So I believe the more time we put into our profession, I think, you know, the sky is going to open up for us. The opportunity is going to be there for us. Going to be just up for grabs. Yeah, no. The journey and the goal has never changed, though, between all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. I must ask you this as well. Obviously, Gary Jr. losing his last fight. It's, it's actually one month ago today. Um, I spoke to him a couple of days before the fight. I haven't spoken to him since. I wanted to ask, how is he? And how is the family as well? Because obviously, as you say, it's always a family unit whenever any of you fight. And losing isn't something that you're used to in this family. No, no, no. We're definitely all like militant <laughs> and we are driven on becoming victorious whether it's in the game or in our profession or just getting over obstacles in life you know we try to find the best solution and um that day it done something to us all you know it gave us a, a sense of humbleness and realization because my eyes didn't deceive me nor did millions of others. He hurt his arm, I believe, in the fourth round. With that being the case, he still outclassed this guy. He still outpointed this guy. As far as applying the most pressure, I wouldn't say he done that because it would be foolish for him to do when you're dealing with tactics and strategistic moves. Um, I still believe he won the fight. In order for you to beat the champion, you got to beat the champion convincingly. And this opponent that Mr. Gary Russell had in front of him, he didn't do enough. And if you pay attention close enough, I mean, he made the guy look silly. He made the guy frustrated. He frustrated his opponent. Um, the guy couldn't touch him. You know, I give the guy three rounds, if anything, throughout the whole fight. You know, um, another person asked me, well, he, another person quoted not asked, but made a quote and said, well, he would have won, but he just did everything with one hand. And I said to him, 
as a response. I said, well, you got a person named Floyd Mayweather that's deemed to be the best in boxing, and all of his fights is predominantly one with one hand. Hmm. His defense is impeccable, which Gary Russell Jr. was the fighter of that night. Um, his point, as far as clean contact punches, is impeccable. Floyd Mayweather, vice versa, just as Gary Russell Jr. was that night. And I think the point is what wins the fight. The point hit and not get hit. That's the Marcus Queensbury of sport. And Gary, I wanna, I'm eager to hear your answer to this, but I, but I must ask. Obviously, you're fighting this weekend. How has your preparation been? Because Gary, uh, you know, he, he told me obviously your father's poor health had pretty much stopped your father from being able to help for the first time ever. And I, I don't know if that led or played a part in anything in the fight itself. But obviously, your fight is only a month later. How involved has your father been? How has camp been? Like I said, it's a, it's a lot of things. It's been a realization and a, a, a humble, a humbleness type of environment. And my father, he's been there. He's been in, in the gym, you know. We had a wheel and then a wheelchair. We've actually been making him train with us. You know, work his arms, stand in the bed, stand in the wheelchair, not using much muscle. As soon as to deplete the muscle mass, you know, deplete your muscles. You got to use them. If you don't, you lose them. You know, so... um. He's there critiquing the things that I do, critiquing the things that I don't do. He's still telling me um, some coach slash fatherly advice, things to do and things not to do. Um, he's giving me insight on my opponent. He's telling me what I'm lacking. He's telling me the things that a coach is supposed to tell me. You know, as far as how that re- reflects on Jerry Jr. fight, um, I think because it was more fresher and at the moment, like the heat of the moment, I think it was more emotional. It was more emotional. And like I said, it was a lot of obstacles in our way, and we had to just deal with them because that's the realization of life. And um, emotions is something that someone that no one can get around. You know, you can't dodge emotions. You can probably numb yourself to them, but not having any at all, that's impossible. You know, so... My father, I would say, he was just going into the hospital doing Terry Jr.'s fight. Um, then he had to actually come out of camp to get him out of the hospital because he was in and out the hospital. You know, um, then his foot, it was getting uh, another type of infection. So he had to go back in the hospital again. And Gary Russell Jr. had to haul him to the hospital, then haul himself to the gym from the hospital, you know, so there's a lot of sporadic movement going on during camp, you know, but the realization of it all was that, hey, the show must still goes on. And I'm I'm observing, watching my brother, my oldest brother do this stuff, watching my other older brother do it, you know, be a helping hand dealing with my father. The most I can do is um, help with the paperwork. Help with the things that they won't forget, like his clothes, his shoes, the battery for his wheelchair, and things of that nature. These things that people really have to deal with in the real world if you were in this type of situation. But behind the scenes, this is what's going on, and no one don't know about these things. I don't think it did too much as far as 
his fighting ability, but I think it did something with his mentality going towards the fight. It didn't really take away from his training regimen, but I think it added more on to the stress and the wear and tear to the body dealing with him ripping and running so much. Yeah. They say the best thing, the most important thing dealing with this sport is getting rest. If you're constantly running and training and ripping here again and coming back to train again, because we do two days, you know, especially when we're in camp. When we're in camp, we do two days, sometimes three days. Um, a lot of wear and tear on the body with little rest, it can affect you. No, no sure. but like I said, I don't think that was the total um, problem. I believe that the main problem was a mentality, his mental state of mind that was kind of like in sorrow, depression. And like I said, we militant, so it was also a thing that I don't care, I got to do this, I'm going to do this. Even though that is subtle details that you have to pay attention to. If not, things can go left. You know, but when you're in a comfortable state of mind, you're able to see the things you want to do, you shouldn't do, even the subtle things that you got to pay attention to that no one sees, you know. But I don't think he had the comfortable environment at the time. It was very, not hostile, but emotional. Yeah. Very emotional environment, you know, and I believe that played a part on his mentality. But it didn't take away his skill, and his skills definitely showed during the night of the fight. Yeah, and and not only that, not only did, as you mentioned, he had that, you know, that emotional stress, but also the career longest layoff as well obviously doesn't help you physically. So a lot, I think, was going against him, and I appreciate you for opening up about some of those things that a lot of people don't know about. Um, getting back onto yourself, which is what we're here for, of course, you're yeah, coming yeah, off yeah. you're coming off that great win last time out against Giovanni Santiago, a man that pushed Adrian Broner close but um but lost on points. I was searching for Adrian Broner. <laughs> I was searching for But listen, you got Santiago out of there. Uh, straight away you're right back in a big fight. You know, your, your attitude is to be applauded. This is a huge step up, though. You're taking on former WBC super lightweight world champion Victor Postel. Uh, this is a guy who has only lost to Terence Crawford, Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez. They're all, un- or they were all unbeaten fighters. Obviously, Crawford and Josh Taylor went on to become undisputed champions. They're still undefeated to this day. Ramirez, I actually felt, was lucky to get the decision over Postel, but that's another story. Uh, one thing that's never happened to Postel, though, is that he's never been stopped. One thing that you've always done is stop people. You're putting that knockout streak at risk, I think, here. How deeply have you studied this man, Gary? Ah, you know, I, I've studied him enough, you know. I mean, <laughs> once you become a true connoisseur of the sport and uh, the profession, I think it's, it shouldn't be too much of nothing new that can surprise a person. You know, it's like, I'm not going to say I've been up against all of the styles of fighting, but any style that comes now, it wouldn't be far-fetched out of my understanding, you know. And honestly, a coach can be a coach. A cut man can be a cut man. But when it comes to the fighter being his own man, a fighter being a fighter, the fighter is in there. The fighter is the one that got to listen to the coach 
instructions, got to execute the coach instructions, and yet alone protect himself from his opponent. So a person can have a good training camp. A person can have all the, the attributes that there is needed to become victorious. But when you get put in that ring with another opponent that's determined and driven and got all the same attributes you have physically and mentally, I think it becomes a, a, a will thing, a game of weeks, you know, and it's nobody that you can really depend on but yourself. And I'm not taking nothing from them, but I'm saying I don't believe that I would be spooked or caught off guard based off of his abilities. He's a rangy fighter. He's long. I'm not taking away his bravery. Anyone that steps in there got to have a big heart. Anyone. You know, it takes it takes guts to step in there and participate in this profession. Period. Uh, without doubt. You know, I'm not taking away his bravery, but I know what level of bravery I have. And I know what level of determination I have. Have I studied him enough? I would say yes. And I'm 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 a tell you this, anyone that stepped in there with me, I always show them some type of respect because a person that prepares up to seven to eight weeks for no one, just me, is a potential danger. Yeah, no, I love that. This is, honestly, this fight I'm so looking forward to. Hearing you speak about it as well is, is just exciting me even more. Um, I want to ask you, do you go into fights aiming to get a knockout, aiming to not leave the decision in the judges' I'm glad hands? you asked. Or does it just present itself and you take it every single time? <laughs> every single time. That's what it is about. It's about seizing the moment. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, well, what we'll made you pick, we'll make you pick uh, Victor Poster? I didn't pick him. He's just the right caliber fighter. And he's in my in my way. Um, I'm on a journey. And right now, he got the credentials that I need to continue my journey. And this is the person that's in front of me right now. It could have been someone else. But it's not. It's this particular individual right here, and we're going to deal with it fight by fight. We're going to take it one fight at a time. When you talk about knockouts and me putting my knockout streak on, on the line, it's never been a thing. And we're going into a competition and just, oh, I'm going to get a knockout. That's what I'm certain. That's what I'm certainty like looking for. No. It's the mentality of execution that I, I strive for. It's not an easy task to execute on a world-class level. Something that your coach is telling you to do. Just as someone else creativity, and they're saying, hey, I need you to execute this. And for a person to go out and execute something that's not out of, that's not within his own creativity, that's a difficult task. Floyd Mayweather, he makes executing instructions look easy. That's what makes him great. Gary Russell Jr., he makes execution look easy and effortless. That's what makes him great. That's what makes all the champions great. That's what creates champions, executing what they need to execute. I don't go in here looking for knockouts. I get instructions, and these instructions consist of me doing specific things that would make me victorious. And it's my job to execute that. 
Now, if I can execute that, I know the results is going to be what it is. Yeah. No, a knockout over this guy here obviously would be huge, huge, huge. Um, and like I say, it adds to the excitement. It's, it's a big step up. This guy is still, I think, a really good fighter. Always has been. Uh, he's like a he's like a, a high risk, low reward type of guy who needs to fight him. Uh, not many people are queuing up for it. You're 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 right there. I wanna I wanna say this as well. Your last few fights you've weighed in, I've noticed around about one three seven, sometimes one three six. Obviously closer to the lightweight no, limit. Never, no, never, never, never weighed that high. I always come in under with one. <laughs> okay. I would say one thirty-seven. Yeah, that's what I said. One one thirty-eight. That's no, what I said. One forty-seven. Oh, I okay. Said I apologize. That's that's ridiculous. If I said that, I must have got it completely wrong. Of course, you'd be coming in at welterweight. That's not what I meant. Um, you've been weighing in at one thirty-seven. Obviously, closer to the lightweight limit really than the super lightweight limit. Could you make lightweight? I can. And actually, that was a um, conversation that me, my father, and my brothers had, um, i say, some time ago. And it was like, well, we should go down to 135 and just take over 135 because we're in it for the long duration. This isn't no, uh, no sprint. This isn't no 50-yard dash. And then with a career, it becomes a marathon. You know, so we was thinking along the lines of, hey, let's clean the 135 division and then go up to 140. You're already cleaning out 140 now. The only person that's there is Josh Taylor. He got all of the titles. You got Regis Prograde. You have, uh, at once upon a time, we had, um, what's, the, what's the guy's name from... Cincinnati. Uh, I called him out before. Not Adrian Broner. He was part of Adrian Broner camp. Um, Robert Easton. Yeah, but he was one three five, wasn't he? He was one thirty five. Yeah, yeah, one thirty five. But he he moved up to one forty. Ah, okay. But that was our re- that was he, our reason. He just recently got shot, didn't he? A few weeks ago. Yes, I was about to say I. I, I you know, give them respect. I give my respect to that. You know, it's like that's the reality of of living. You know, you got crime everywhere you go, any part of the state, any part of the world. There will be some type of crime. You know, but we try our best to not focus on those type of things. But that's the reality of it all. You know, it's part of it. But I back to what we were talking about. What I was saying. We were going to clean the 130 division and come up to 140. My father said, you know what? Stay down, stay up at 140 because that seemed like a good idea for Gary Russell Jr. He can clean the 126 division and then go up to 135. Ah. <laughs> I just think it would be kind of crazy seeing you down there at 135. It's a conversation for another day, but imagine you in that mix with the Tiafimos, the Cambosos, the... Oh. I haven't imagined it yet, so I'm imagining it for the first time now. My mouth's watering here. That'd be crazy. Um, I want to I wanna get your take on this, really. It's, it's kind of coming down to my last couple of questions, Gary. Um, it matters to me, your opinion on this. Jerron Boots Ennis. 
Uh, he's been on the show before. Cool guy. I hope he becomes a world champion. But right now, he's got so much hype around him. People are tipping him already to beat Spence, to beat Crawford. And his career has so far gone the complete opposite to yours. He's probably had double the fights. I think he's had double the fights you've had and probably half the amount of good fighters on his record that, that, uh, as you. Um, I know you beat him quite a few times in the amateurs. In your opinion, as a pro... How good is he, and is the hype justified? Okay, um, we fought in the qualifiers. Double elimination. I beat him three times, he beat me once. As far as the competition he brought to the table, I saw that he was determined to be better each time, each time. But I also saw the way and tear his body doing that. I mean, the qualifiers, because in the Olympics, you're fighting, you know, four times, three times. Within one week, you know, you probably had one day layoff. Then the next day, you compete again. After that day, you go to sleep. You can't eat much because the next day, you got to make weight all over again and compete all over again. And um, I think that took away until his body is fine. That goes. That's how many times me and him fought. So I want to get that clear. We fought four times total the Golden Gloves. And then he made his qualifiers, I believe, in his hometown in another competition, another tournament, and made it to USA. I think that's what it was, the USA qualifier. And from USA qualifiers, he became uh, a nominee in an uh, international tournament, which got him to the Olympic trials. The Olympic trials, we saw each other in the Olympic trials. He beat me the first night. I don't let me try. By one point, my father told his coach, we'll see you in a championship. We'll see you in a championship. Before we fought in championships, we fought one time again before. We fought uh, in the quarterfinals. And in the quarterfinals, I beat him. Uh, his coach and my father had a little beginning. He said, well, you got to do it twice. You want to do it twice. He had a layover the next night. I fought him again, beat him again. And then a championship round, we had to compete one last time. I beat him the last time. So I beat him three times in the qualifiers. And I think from that, he grew. Mentally, he grew. You know, like he wanted more. I'm pretty sure his environment was a thing that a matter of him being a young kid in the gym around many others that was a little older. And it molded him to be, um, I say, advanced at a young age. Spawn older guy kind of makes him more solid, more manly, you know. It makes his ego a little more tougher. That's what happens when you learn it from elders. You start to take traits of the elders that you're around constantly. You know, so I believe the manhood in him starts to spring, uh, spring up. When it comes to his professional record and his performances, you can't take that away from him. They line of people up in front of him. He's winning. He's beating them with class. What I can say is I don't want them ruining his career 
by pushing him too fast. Do you have the goods to be a world-class title holder? Definitely. I know because I fought him several times. I beat him. So I know what type of caliber fighter he is. You know, and I'm I'm watching him. I'm watching him grow, just like I'm pretty sure he's watching me grow. As far as our journey and our career is different, because like you said, they got the hype around them. They want them to live up to the hype. Him and Earl Spence, I'm not going to say he can beat Earl Spence. I believe Earl Spence is a person that has more experience. He is a true uh, super welterweight opponent. When I say true super welterweight, I mean that's been his division that he's been campaigning in for his entire career down there. So he's comfortable with that weight class. It'll be like Boots moving up to his weight class, weight division versus him automatically having that muscle mass and that, that body group for this division. When Earl Smith, they, that's, that's been his whole career. He's been in this division his whole career. 140, 147. He wasn't there 140 long. 147 in his whole career. And Boots, I believe he tried to maintain 140. But his maturity, his body matured. And he started to be a hassle with his weight. And strain himself. He don't want to have to cut weight to the point where they're so depleted anymore. Do we got the skills to say, hey, I can move up to 47? I done saw guys bigger than 47, and I done dealt with guys who was just more skilled than these guys. So, yes, uh, I say it would be nothing for him to do that. That's how I feel about myself. You know, and that's just a fighter's mentality when things become second nature to you for so long. Um, these are the, the risks. I wouldn't even say risks. These are decisions you're willing to take. These are the next steps okay. to being a better fighter, a better athlete, you know, and developing yourself and your skills, harnessing your skills. These are the steps you, you will take, you know. And um, I don't want them to ruin his career by pushing him too fast. If they say the hype is around him, I would tell him, hey, accept the hype. But be smart. Don't be foolish. Yeah. A resume is a resume. But business is business. Gary, you know if I mean? you can, Gary, if you can, because you sound a little bit echoey, it's a little bit hard to understand you at the minute. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's much better. Sorry, because sometimes it was going a little bit like that, and I was thinking, oh, I don't want to interrupt. But yeah, sorry, go on. Just finish off what you were saying there. That's okay. Oh, uh, Like I was saying, I would tell him to accept the hype because you should get applaud when you come out victorious against a Class A opponent. Yeah. Or opponent, period. You execute it. Well, I wouldn't want him to be foolish and playing into the social media politics, the politicians and stuff like that. I would tell him, be wise, be smart, and know the business. Become a true connoisseur of your profession. A resume is a resume, 
and business is business. And you got to know the line that you're walking when you're dealing with them too. Yeah, and I'm not much. saying cherry pick anything, but you have a tighter defense for a reason. You have mandatory step ups, et cetera, for reasons. And that's based off of the way the business is ran. And a hype is a social media politic thing. It's a way to get the the fighters' attention, a way to get the world to attend to the fighters. Yeah, no, you know, it goes hand in hand. But I wouldn't make decisions based off of that. No. Wise words. Wise words. Um, my final real question for you, Gary, is because uh, obviously, like I say, never, never interviewed you before. This is the first time, and every time I speak to somebody from overseas for the first time, the fans, the listeners, they like to know. I'm putting you on the spot a lot here. Who's your favorite? UK fighter, <laughs> any era, uh, can be a guy who retired 300 years ago if you want, <laughs> or it can be a guy still boxing today. Who springs to mind favorite fighter from the UK, from Britain? UK fighter? I don't have no favorite UK Damn. fighter. Damn. It, it's sad <laughs> to say I'm so sorry and I'm it's apologetic, so you know, but so if I had to pick a person who I would like to kick it with, it would be Anthony Joshua. <laughs> it would be okay. Anthony Joshua. And um, and that was because we hung out during the Olympics. Yeah. You know, I bumped into him during the Olympic trials. When, no, the Olympic Games. Out Rio de Janeiro. He was out there and we hung out together. You know, we spoke. And I was just telling him, man, this is, the sky has the limit for you. You know, you got to stay tunnel vision, stay humble, you know. And the whole entire time he was smiling, he was smiling. I was like, that smile right there is going to win a lot of people over. You know, I think that's a, a trait that a lot of athletes can't really flourish in. You know, so many athletes, they're so serious, so always pouting. They want to mean mug you, you know, like it's the issue. When it's like, what's the issue? Nobody got hand wrapped on. Nobody got gloves. Nobody talked about you behind your back. Nobody, you know, trash talked your mom or your dad. Why are you feeling so aggressive right now? I just believe that aggression is a part of the profession. And for him to walk around with a smile from ear to ear, I think that's gold to me. You know, dealing with the profession you're in, that means that somewhat within all of this chaotic mess, you found some peace and closure within yourself. And I like that. It attracted me to that, you know, because I'm the same way. And we sat and we talked and we talked and we talked. And I gave him the history on me and my family and my brother. And he was telling me about his journey that he's about to take. And um, shortly after, he became a title holder, a multi-title holder. Yeah, no, that's... That's brilliant, man. I didn't expect that to be honest. I love hearing that that kind of story uh, to actually sit down with the man himself and share those uh, those exchanges, those stories. That's that's great, man. That's a fantastic story. Um, my final real thing I want to say to you, Gary, uh, just before we let you go, if you've got any closing message to anyone that listens to this from all over the world, but 
in particular the UK, because you should notice yourself, the UK fans love their boxers, and your family, man, we, we love you all, because you're all unbelievably talented. What's your message to anyone that listens to this, but particularly your supporters here from this side of the pond, my friend? My message is, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, so we must live in the present. And don't ever, ever forget that the fantasy that you want is within arm's reach if you're willing to reach forward. Determination can transform anyone into a beast. Don't forget that. They say acorns grow to be oak trees. Oak trees are the biggest trees in the world. Wow. That's a, I love that. I love that. I'm saving that forever. I love that quote. That's amazing. It's true. And that's a fantastic way to cap off what's been a fantastic interview. Listen, Gary, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I thank you so much for all your time. Best of luck this weekend in Vegas, and we'll speak sometime after, I'm sure. Definitely. I appreciate your call. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with the fact that Savannah Marshall's world title defense against uh, Femke Hermans has been moved now to April the 2nd, which is a Saturday, and it's also been moved to Newcastle. I'm not sure where it was scheduled for before or what date it was on, but um, it's a bit of a delay, really. It's a shame because, you know... We want to see her fight Clarissa Shields sooner sooner rather than later, and there's been a lot of delays. I think Clarissa had a delay with one of her fights. I think Savannah has had maybe two delays. Uh, but yeah, anyways, she, uh, she's on that card there. Um, on the undercard, Nathan Gorman as well. Um, he gets in with Scott Alexander, an American heavyweight. Uh, Florian Marku as well on the card. Um, yeah, anyways, moving on. Uh, it's official now, even though we kind of knew anyway. Oscar Valdez, Shakur Stevenson, that one takes place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, April 30th. We had Shakur on um, two weeks ago, I think it was. So all the best to him. Oscar Valdez is also a, f- a friend of the show, to be honest. I do like Oscar Valdez and his pet, Steve the Crocodile. But that's another story. Uh, moving on to the preview part of the show. This one takes place tomorrow at the White Sands Event Center in Plant City, Florida, USA. This one, um, it's a guy who I've always kind of wondered what his goal is in boxing. He's managed to kind of carve out quite a padded record Um I'm I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but I want to say born in Kazakhstan and moved around. Kana Islam got a record of 28 and 0. He's fighting here for the vacant WBO global middleweight title against Jimmy Kelly of the UK, 25 and 2. I think Jimmy Kelly, no disrespect to the guy, but a lot of people would bring him up in some of the most um, worst. Um, world title challengers in recent times. I think I think he challenged for the world title against Liam Smith, if I'm not mistaken. God almighty, that's a 10-rounder there in Florida. All the best to Jimmy Kelly. Hopefully he can do something in that fight there. Um, moving out now to Dubai. This one over here uh, takes place on Saturday. Not much really on the undercard to mention, but let's talk about the main event. Guillermo Rigondo, 20-2. and two. Uh, This one's for the vacant WBC international bantamweight title. He gets in with a guy who I've got to be completely honest. I've absolutely never heard of him until I'm reading his name right now. Um, the guy's name is Vincent Astrolabio. He boasts a record of 
16 and 3 as a pro. Just going to have a little dig here and see what I can find real quick. Um, 16 and 3, uh, 12 KOs, a Filipino fighter, 24 years of age. Uh, let's see, his losses have come to guys that I've never heard of. Um, mm, yeah, doesn't look good. Um, yeah, Rigondo though. I don't know what he's got left. Another guy, we don't know how old he is. He could be in his 60s. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, coming off of a loss, a controversial loss last time out against John Real Casimero uh, back in August 2021. So all the best there to Rigo. Moving out now to the big one over here in the UK, certainly. It's taking place at the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, it's going to be on Sky Sports. Um, let's talk about the undercard real quick. We've got uh, Corey Gibbs, who I think won that Ultimate Boxer tournament or something, I'm sure. Um, he's 16-0. He gets in with Carlos Perez, who's 17-6 and with two draws. We've got Rabisi Ramirez, the Cuban Olympic gold medalist, who's 8-1. He's in a 10-rounder against Eric Donovan, who had a really good fight with Zelfa Barrett, I want to say, last time out. He's 14-1. That's over 10 rounds there. But the main event, all eyes to this. It's gone under the radar just because of the hype around Brooke Kahn, the fact that that was in the UK. And then this is in the UK the week after um Josh Taylor 18 and 0 defending his WBC WBA IBF and WBO world super lightweight titles so pretty much um he is you know he's the undisputed champion at 140 he puts that on the line against Jack Catterall 26 and 0 uh, the fighter from Chorley who has just been treading water for years man he's been in that number 1 slot for what seems like about a decade i'm obviously over exaggerating but it's certainly been over I'm, I'm i'm sure it's been over 2 years he's been in that number 1 slot i remember having Jack Catterall on the show uh, quite a quite a few years ago and then i got him on I think a few months ago, uh, Josh Taylor, I think, has been on once before. All the best to both guys. You know, somebody's own must go here. Combined record of 44 and 0, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jack Catterall, as well, for the people that may have forgotten, it was talked about years ago, but people, I think, have forgotten it. We're in 2022. It's been a while. This guy shared the ring, you know, inspiring with Floyd Mayweather, with Canelo Alvarez. Can he do something here with Josh Taylor? We will see. They're both southpaws. Hopefully, it's a good fight there. Um, yeah, but you've got to, you've got to favour Josh Taylor. He just looks unbelievable at the moment. We're all just waiting for him to to come up to one four seven to put on those seven pounds and see what he can do there. Um, moving out now to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. This one taking place on Showtime. Um, we have on the undercard. We spoke to him. Um, a few moments ago, Gary Antoine Russell, 14 and 0, 14 KOs in a 10 rounder against Victor Postel, who's 31 and 3. The three losses came to Regis Progray on points, Josh Taylor on points. Sorry, not Regis Progray on points. That fight was going to happen, by the way. Regis Progray and Victor Postel a few years ago, and then it fell through at the last minute, and Regis Progray ended up fighting Julius Indongo. Little history lesson. But um, Victor Postel's losses have come to Terence Crawford on points, Josh Taylor on points, and 
Last time out, Jose Ramirez on points in a fight which I think he won but didn't get it. He hasn't boxed since the Ukrainian fighter, the former WBC um, super lightweight world champion. He gets in with Gary Antoine Russell, 14-0, 14 KOs, coming off that brilliant uh, knockout win over Giovanni Santiago last time out who pushed Adrian Broner a little bit close. Um... Yeah, Victor Postel, man. I'm so looking forward to this because he's never been stopped and he's been in there with pound-for-pound level guys. Maybe Crawford wasn't what he was. I don't know. But Josh Taylor's, you know, no, no. They've never stopped him. They've never come close to stopping him. It's a brilliant fight. It's it's actually probably the, the fight I'm looking forward to most the entire weekend. And to cap it off, we had him on the show a few moments ago. On the undercard as well, Jerwin and Cajas, 33-1 with two draws, defending his IBF super flyweight world title against the undefeated Fernando Martinez, 13-0. Um, and top of the bill, we have Chris Colbert, 16-0. He was supposed to be boxing for a world title, but his opponent, I think it was Roger Gutierrez, pulled out with COVID. He he still has a 12-round fight. He gets in with Hector Luis Garcia, who's 14-0, undefeated. Somebody's own must go. And this one, the final card to mention, it actually takes place on Sunday on the Zone. So I'm not sure what you're doing on Sunday, Eddie, but if you fancy watching something early um, in, in the US, I guess probably around about eh, probably about 3 p.m. on Sunday. It's going to be on the zone. On the undercard, we've got um, Campbell Hatton, 5-0 in a six-rounder against a guy called Joe Ducker, who's 9-8 with two draws, but that is kind of a little bit of a step up there for, for Campbell Hatton. We've got um, Dempsey McKean, who's 20-0. I think he's from Australia. He's in an eight-rounder against Ariel Bracamonte, who... If I'm not mistaken, I think had a bit of a bang-up with Dave Allen. I think that's the same guy. That's an eight-rounder there. Dempsey McKean, always exciting. Uh, we've got Galau Yafai, who... Oh, man, did he win a gold medal at the Olympics? I've forgotten. He certainly medaled at the Olympics, just gone. The brother of Cal Yafai. He is jumping in on his pro debut in a 10-rounder here for the, for the vacant WBC international flyweight title. So he's not wasting any, wasting any time. He gets in with 10-4-1 Carlos Vado Batista. Um, we've also got Fabio Wardley, 12-0, in a 10-rounder against Daniel Martz, who's 29-1. Um, we've also got Anthony Fowler, 15-2, in a 10-rounder against Lucas Masik, who is 27-3 with a draw. Apparently, that's going to be a really tough fight for Fowler. We'll see. We've also got Kareem Gwerthy, 30-5, defending his EBU European featherweight title against Jordan Gill, who's 26-1 with a draw. That one's over 12 rounds. And the main event, Lawrence Acoli, 17-0, defending his WBO cruiserweight world title against Mikel Sislak, who's got a record of 21-1. The Polish fighter who um, a lot of people from Poland are really believing in this guy. It's no joke. You've got Artus Filka, who every single day when he wakes up in the morning tweets Eddie Hearn and Lawrence Sokoli and says, one more day closer to the fight. One more day and the new. Every single day he wakes up, I'm pretty sure he tweets him before he has a bowl of cereal or a rye vita or whatever he's eating, probably a bowl of fruit. He looks unbelievable now he's... he's, he's uh, lost some weight. Uh, he looks absolutely unbelievable. Artur Spilka, friend of the show. Um, but yeah, he, he tweets Eddie Hearn every single day and lets him know it's a day closer to your man being dethroned. He's only got one loss, and of course it was on points back in 2020 against Ilunga Makabu. A close fight as well. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's another 
tough fight there for Lawrence Okoli. I'm applauding it. It's at the O2 Arena on a Sunday night. It's, it's, it's definitely random. But um, I can't wait for that one as well. But that brings the preview part to a close. Um, the final thing that I have to do before we wrap this up is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 332 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge shout-out to our special guest this week, the undefeated knockout artist, Mr. Gary Antoine Russell. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. That is about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.